They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Welcome to Feed vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where your host, Feed the Terrible Aussie Jemine, explores the remakes, re-edits, reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. This podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. G'day everyone, this is B. Jemide, a.k.a. The Terrible Aussie. Welcome back to episode 20. That's right, everyone, episode 20 of Bean vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where I dissect every remake, re-edit, reimagining, homage, spoof, unofficial follow-up, and so much more to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Neither Living Dead, across all media. I can't believe we have made it. We are now at the milestone 20th episode of the podcast. It And I've already stated this before on previous shows. It kind of just shows how many different variations of Night of the Living Dead that are out there. Sure, some of them may not be full-on remakes, but others have kind of reinterpreted or re-edited or somehow kind of homaged this film in their own ways in regards to specific media that it has been a part of. So... On the previous episode of the show, we've talked about an episode from two separate TV shows that actually incorporated Night of the Living Dead within its narrative, and we're going to be doing that again for this episode of the show. But however, though, this time, though, one TV show actually did not one but two episodes that are centered around the film Night of the Living Dead. But before we get to what those episodes are... I am joined by a very special guest who is making his debut on the show. And he's also a good friend of mine who is the host of many awesome podcasts. And that, of course, is Andrew Shaw. Hello, Andrew. And welcome yep, the first time on Beat vs. the Living Dead. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored to be here talking about uh, some, some uh, very interesting uh, episodes of a TV show. Indeed, indeed. And there also happened to be happens to be a show that until, I guess, to this episode of the show you and i have only just finally gotten around to because i know for a fact that the show in particular we're talking about tonight i believe you hadn't when you we discussed doing this episode you actually hadn't seen a single episode from this show and i've only maybe seen the odd one here and there but i haven't sat down to watch it entirely so i'm kind of very excited to kind of dive deep into the world of the show we're going to be talking about yeah it's um it's funny because Creepshow, the original movie, is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and I'm a sucker for an anthology. Like I love the Tales from the Crypts and the uh, the oh, I can't think of the other one, the, like stuff like Monsters and things like that that you know were around in the '90s that we, you know, us horror kids grew up on when you'd, you'd tape them off very late night TV and they'd be edited down because Tales from the Crypt back then probably wasn't appropriate for TV at the time. Yeah, so um, I was. It's taken me a little while, so I think I'm gonna have to go. Now that I've seen these, I'm gonna have to go back to the start and just sort of watch my way through. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I I I'm the same as well. Like until prior to the episodes we're talking about for this episode, I probably had only seen both the Halloween and Christmas specials, the show Creep Show. So actually diving into the actual show itself via the two episodes we're talking about today. It, it definitely is made me think, like, why am I so late to getting around to this show? Why am I not watching it right now? It is totally my jam based on what I've seen so far. I need to start watching this show right now. So I'm definitely going to be doing that. So, <laughs> But uh, before we get to the topic at hand for this episode, Andrew, I have a very important question I have to ask you. And it's a question I always ask every new guest when they pop on this show. And that, of course, is, Andrew, do you remember the first time you saw the original 1968 version of Night of the Living Dead? 
I I kind of do. I'm I'm not sure exactly when it was, but it was it was definitely on uh, the Australian equivalent of cable TV, which was would have been in the mid to late 90s on um, Optus Vision, which we had in our area, which doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> which was a very long time ago. And um, I remember when we first got it, I I just sat down and I reckon I, I you know, slept about three hours in, you got your school holidays coming up. So, we, you know, school holidays, I reckon I slept about two, two to three hours a night over the school holidays because I just stayed up watching every channel. Turner Classic Movies, the channel that we had, it doesn't actually exist on um, cable TV here anymore, unfortunately. Uh, they played it a fair bit. And I remember sitting down one night, it must have been, you know, midnight and watching the original uh, Night of the Living Dead and just being blown away by not only such an incredible movie, but the themes it goes through and the how just incredible the, the performances are. And the, um, yeah, it was just, it blew me away. Like it's, it's such a, an incredible movie and it's definitely an all time classic. And it, it sucks that it was, um, it fell into public domain, which means George Romero didn't make just that much money off. Unfortunately, didn't make a lot of money off it. But yeah, like that was it for me. I was, I, I then had to hunt down the rest of the, at the time, the Romero trilogy. And um, they're like, I'm not a massive zombie movie person, but they are definitely my favorites of all the zombie movies I've seen. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned uh, when you watched it the first time. I did watch it on the Turner Classics movie channel. Now I'm just going back when we did used to have it here on cable in Australia or on Foxtel as it is here. So it's kind of a shame that it no longer exists anymore because that was a great channel, especially around Mm -hmm. October because they would always play nothing but classic horror films. And I would always be just glued to that channel, especially ones I wasn't. I had never seen before because like all the great classic horror films from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, like that was probably the best place to check out those classics of horror when the Halloween season popped up. However, though, I did watch, like I've already stated this before, but I did watch the original Night of the Living Dead on cable as well. But I was what I watched it as part on the TV show, The Graveyard Shift, that was on the Arena channel because they were playing mm-hmm. it one night. So that's how I sort of became aware of the film so it's kind of funny that you and i kind of had similar experiences watching on australian cable however they're on two different completely (laughs) two different channels (laughs) yeah it's and it was sort of like the the tcm one you know like you said around the halloween time you know you wouldn't get anything past about 1986 i reckon and so yeah you just get the absolute classics and i think after that it was probably the remake that i saw next the um yeah uh, the one that was made by my brain uh, blank because it's Tom Savini. Tom Savini, that's it. <laughs> and um, I actually think the movie works better in black and white. I think it's the black and white, and especially given the time where you couldn't get away with a lot of gore, even though it is for a movie back then, it's still pretty gory. It um, it works mm. better, and I find that uh, the mood is a lot creepier, and the atmosphere makes it just that much more in- incredible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's one of the great things about that film is that the visually, even though, yes, it is in, like, guess by today's standards, like, some people would see it as, like, an old black and white film, but the black and white aesthetic for the film kind of really enhances the experience of the film, particularly because I, back in a very early episode of this show, I covered the colorized version of the film. And watching that after seeing the original in black and white so many times throughout the years was such a weird experience because seeing that film in colour definitely gave it a much more different feel than it would be in black and white. Mm -hmm. But that being said, though, like it's that's one of those films that where I think like the visual aesthetic really enhances what makes Night of the Living Dead such a great film. Like there's so many great things about it. And I've discussed that a lot on the show, but I think the visual aesthetic is probably another thing that also really just gives it that extra oomph in terms of what makes it such a great classic film, because the use of lighting shadow, the way it's shot, because I know that George A. Romero came from a news background and also did documentaries as well so that kind of sort of news kind of slash documentary style is prevalent throughout that film in terms of the way it is shot so it definitely kind of gives it a very interesting feel when you watch it because it almost feels like at times almost like a documentary in certain uh, aspects yeah and, and uh, cutting, cutting to the news footage all the time as well and 
get back to the TV with the the reporter talking to the local sheriffs and things like that. Um, but the thing the, the thing that always sticks out to me too is that at the time having an African American hero at the center of the film is groundbreaking and brilliant. And it was played as it it wasn't played as like uh, like a, a a stunt or anything like that. It was just no no. It's, Dwayne Jones is an amazing actor. We're going to make him the star of our film, and it just it's wonderful. Yeah, well, that's what George A. Romero has said multiple times, that the reason why why Dwayne Jones was cast in the role, not because uh, they were making any type of statement with the casting, it was just at the end of the day, he was just the best actor for the part. And yeah. of course, like some people kind of question that, but I honestly think that's George A. Romero definitely is very sincere when when he in regards to that but also at the same time though I, I as i stated before in a previous episode i have to think or even imagine i'm not going to make any assumptions what george a romero was thinking when <laughs> when he was casting Dwayne jones but i would have to imagine that at the back of his mind he would have had to at some point thought yeah this is definitely going to be a big deal casting mm. an african-american actor in the lead of a horror film which of course was groundbreaking as you said at the time because nobody saw that in films up to that point especially in the horror genres so that's what kind of again what makes night of the living dead such a such a timeless film and what makes it such a fantastic film as well hence why i'm doing this show on it and its legacy in regards to it being in the public domain and how there's been so many different variations on it throughout the years Particularly with the uh, the two episodes we're going to be talking about tonight, which of course is the TV show Creep Show, which of course debuted on Shudder in 2019, and as you stated before, and of course it is based on the 1982 horror film of the same name that was directed by George A. Romero and written by Stephen King, and of course the show was executive produced by Greg Nicotero. And so this show was basic, is basically his uh, baby that he sort of started up for Shudder. And it basically is probably one of Shudder's most acclaimed and most popular original programming as well. So, so for this episode of the show tonight, we're going to be talking about two separate episodes from Creep Show that just happened to have Night of the Living Dead as a factor into their stories. And that, of course, are the episodes... Night of the Living Late Show and a dead girl named Sue. So I'm very excited to talk about these episodes because I think we're going to have a lot to say about both of them. We'll get straight to it. So we'll start off our conversation by talking about the very first Night of the Living Dead episode of Creep Show, which of course is the season two, episode five episode, Night of the Living Late Show. It works. 
which of course was directed by Greg Nicotero, written by Dana Gould. And this episode stars Justin Long, D'Arcy Carden, and Hannah Furman. And the plot summary for this episode is, Simon has invented an incredible virtual reality experience that allows him to join in on his favorite films. But what happens when virtual reality becomes Simon's actual reality? Andrew, like I said before, this is your first time watching the TV show Creep Show, and it's a good way to start off the, watching the show by watching the season finale of of season two <laughs> of the show. But from what I understand, this of course was uh, usually the episodes of Creep Show usually have two stories per episode, so this is a special forty five minute episode of the show rather than you know being split into two episodes. Now. Based on this episode alone, what did you think of your first exposure to the TV show, Creepshow? But what did you, your initial thoughts on this episode, Night of the Living Late Show? I think, like, going into it, I'm a, I like Justin Long. I think he's very great. I think he's a very, very good comedic actor. And after seeing him, I don't know whether it's a spoiler now or anything, but seeing him in Barbarian last year mm. was, um, you know, a really good turn for him as well. And Darcy Carden, you know, everyone knows as Janet from uh, Is It the Good Place. I think it's a it's it's a it's a great casting, and it's you know they they're very believable as a couple. It it also made me uh, think I need to push Horror Express up on my watch list because I hadn't seen Horror Express before, and it it started up, and I was like, oh, maybe I should have watched that movie first, but I don't. It didn't spoil too much, which is good. But yeah, like it was it's an interesting premise. It's um mixing a little bit of sci-fi and some horror, and um yeah, it's sort of has the you know what's known as the O Henry twist at the end and it's it's a yeah I, I I enjoyed the episode I think it probably I would have liked a bit more not a living dead stuff in it but no I, I enjoyed what what happened on there oh yeah definitely definitely and I guess for me personally I really enjoyed the episode overall but that being said though when I went into it despite the fact that it has the night of the living part from night of the living dead in the title, and as well as how it opens and closes is definitely very zombie-oriented, particularly the first one, which I really like because it basically begins with our uh, the creep, I believe that's the yeah. <laughs> our host's name in the show, playing a virtual reality game of Night and Living Dead, which I think was actually really cool. It really kind of captured both the tone and the feel of the original film, but also in terms of detail in which how that opening begins because of the, how it's all laid out from the car, the cemetery. And yeah, it was, I was just very impressed on how it captured a lot of the details from the opening of the original film. Yeah. But like you said before, once we actually go into the episode, Night of the Living Dead itself doesn't really factor into the story until literally in the last five minutes of yep. the episode. And for most part, it's really is the 1972 horror film Horror Express starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee that plays a big part of the narrative of this episode. I, I, I will admit I was slightly disappointed by that, but given that this is <laughs> a show that de is dedicated to all these different aspects of Night of the Living Dead, I can forgive the episode for that. But like I said before... I think it's a really enjoyable episode, and I think it's a really interesting concept with the idea of the character of Simon, played by Justin Long, creates this machine, which once you sit inside it, you can be transplanted into any movie of your choosing. Yeah. So we think, okay, this is actually a really cool way, and as he states in the during a conversation with his, with his wife, that... Yeah, this is definitely going to revolutionize a lot of things. You know, people get who feel like they're trapped in certain parts of their life and need an escape. They can escape by going into their favorite films. And of course, like uh, his wife, Renee, played by Darcy Carden, like is a little sus about it because she kind of like, even though they're married, it wasn't like the type of marriage that everyone was happy with because her father who's like this rich businessman has kind of basically made his feelings known that he feels that Simon is not good enough for her and basically only just really married her for her money. So that kind of stuff is definitely playing in the back of her mind. And as we soon find out, like even though the machine that Simon has created, which of course is the Immersopod, as it's called, yes, it can put him inside his favorite film, Horror Express, but he actually has his own ulterior motive because ever since he saw the film as a child, he's been in love with the character 
of Countess Petrovsky, and he basically wants to meet her and be in love and basically have sex with her. So, <laughs> so basically, he created this uh, machine, which could definitely be have some benefits to it, like on the world, but basically doing it for his own selfish purposes. So it's mm-hmm. an interesting episode that I think it really kind of tackles that very well within the episode. And I got to say... Justin Long is starting to get a bit typecast in a lot of horror stuff because he always ends up playing the douchebag character. But that being said, though, he does it so well without it being too, like, Mm. on the nose. Like, it's kind of a bit more, kind of an insidious way of him being a complete douchebag. Like, because since he looks basically like he's 12 years old every time I see him in anything, even though he's in his 40s now, yeah, he just does the whole douchebag thing really well. So I I think he was really well cast in this episode. And like I said, the the episode itself just has a really cool and interesting concept. And I think for a lot of it actually does really well with how it explores it. Yeah, and I think you're you're spot on there with his casting. I think he lulls you into a false sense of security because he seems like he'd be and i think in real life he just comes across as such a really lovely guy he seems like a really nice person but he's very good at just turning the turning his um personality around where all of a sudden he just becomes an absolute douchebag as you said and and it makes it so much better for him to be like that i think i think the only horror one he's done where he hasn't done that was um drag me to hell i think he was just Mm. really nice in that one but that's about it like people need to stop typecasting him because he needs to have that run where he's you know he actually is the nice guy you think he is yeah well i guess even something like like back early in his career something like jeepers creepers but he was kind of more the annoying brother in that one which you know he did play very well but you're right though pretty much drag me to hell was like the only horror project i think i've seen of him where he didn't play some kind of form of a annoying character or douchebag kind of character (laughs) but but like you say though from everything that i've seen of justin long he does seem like a very nice guy in real life so maybe that's why he plays these characters so well because it is the top polar opposite of him but in terms of this episode like um Darcy Carden, who plays Renee, like, you definitely do feel for her character throughout all of this. Like, I never, I haven't seen The Good Place, so I don't know what she's like uh. on that show. Watching her in this episode, I was very impressed by her performance because she really makes you feel a lot for her character. Even when she's not even saying anything, just based on the looks that she gives and her body language. And I think she does a really good job here but showing how she feels neglected and unloved by Simon. And then, of course, once she finds out the real reason why he's basically created the <laughs> this machine, it really is very heartbreaking. Yep. I was going to say, she, um, there's a couple of times in there where I sort of thought the times when she was saying, you know, oh, we never go out anymore, you never spend time with me. And I was sort of like, well, yeah, but he's making this unbelievable invention. So you've got to give him, mm. some, cut him some slack. But then when you find out the real reason behind it, it's sort of, you, you, you sort of feel for her a lot more. Whereas at the start, I was sort of like, no, no, leave him alone. He's going to make this thing and he's going to make billions of dollars off it if it works and everything like that. And then mm. when you find out that's just so he can hook up with the Countess, it's like, well, okay, I, I'm on your side now. <laughs> and especially because like at that first half, you also, once you find out like basically, yeah, like her dad didn't approve of Simon or the marriage at all. Like, you think, okay, maybe by finally making this machine, and if it takes off worldwide, that he could fight, Simon could finally get the respect because he kind of proved the dad wrong. But as you stated before, once we know the real motivation for creating this machine, it pretty much like, uh, we're like, yeah, Renee, do what you need to do, take your revenge, and (laughs) (laughs) which is definitely definitely a common theme in a lot of, uh, even back in the original. Creep show and as well as its sequel, Creep Show 2, revenge is always like a major part of all the stories. Like the yeah. a character getting their comeuppance to another character who has done them wrong at the end. So it was really cool, kind of not just this episode, but also the other episode we're going to be talking about very soon. Like they do continue that theme from the hmm. original film. Like there are a lot of aspects about this episode that I really liked. I think 
the idea of using Horror Express, which I have seen, it has been quite a while since I've seen it, but um, <laughs> how they kind of use it for this episode was really cool, especially how they composite Justin Long within the movie, because when he's on screen, it's really cool. Like, it's shot very similarly, so... Mm. And how he interacts with the characters is very seamless. Like he, like I think they did a really good job on how they kind of put him into the film. Like from special effects and also cinematography, so that it feels like he's actually a mate, a part of the film. Yeah. And that being said, though, like I, I'm kind of a slightly confused about some of the mechanics when it came to the machine. At first, I was like. Does the movie still play out exactly the same way, or then you just kind of more of an observer more than yeah. anything else? But it, you find that pretty quickly. Oh yeah, you can pretty much interact and have conversations with the characters within the film as we find out as the episode goes on. So I thought it was a really cool way on how Greg Nicotero and Dana Gould were able to kind of work Justin Long within these scenes from Horror Express. So how, how did you feel about? kind of seeing him integrated into the original footage from that film. Yeah, it, it worked well, um, I think. And cutting it with scenes where, especially because I haven't seen the film before, but, you know, there's little bits where someone will speak to somebody, but it actually ends up being Justin Long's character instead. And mm -hmm. it, it works really well. Like, it looks like he's actually having conversations with everybody in there. So it, they, they were very clever about doing that. And the scenes with um, where he actually is with the Countess, and they used, uh, what's her name, Hannah Furman, in very heavy makeup. When you look at the photos of the two um, actresses, they're very similar looking. So they're perfectly cast. And <laughs> Hannah Furman, for me, she's in the first VHS and she's the, what, what's her line? Oh, I like you. She's the really creepy girl. At the oh, first I did not know segment. that. Yeah. I did not know that. Now my mind is blown right about now. <laughs> like, and, yeah, she's creepy as hell in that. <laughs> wow, it kind of shows how good of an actress she is, because I didn't even recognize her in yeah, this film. Definitely. But but like you say though, because that's kind of one of the things that I was like doing like a double take on throughout this episode, because obviously at first when Simon is interacting with the Countess, it is the original actress from the original film who was played mm. by uh, Sylvia Totosa. And if I butchered her name, please forgive me. But she was also dubbed over by another actress named Olive Gregg. I thought, okay, like, it's pretty seamless on how the interactions are. And I'm always impressed with anything where, like, you have an already established media on how, as a writer, how do you create a whole new conversation just around that dialogue from existing footage? And I think mm. Dana Gould kind of did a really good job on what, how to, he incorporated the, created this conversation between uh, Simon and the Countess for the first time. And then, of course, later on when Simon and the Countess meet up in the carriage, it took me a bit to realize, like, oh, this is a different actress also playing the Countess. Because, like you say, they do a really good job to create not only the look, but also in terms of makeup design to make Hannah Furman look exactly like the original actress from the original film. And then when yeah. I rewatched the episode again in prep for the show, I could definitely say, oh yeah, it's very obviously two separate actors playing this part. But when you kind of watch the episode for the first time, it feels very seamless at first. And then you realize, oh no, there's no way that like, <laughs> this is footage from the original film. This has got to be like another actor stepping in. So mm. I thought the film really did surprise me in that regard. Yeah, I think it um it worked really well. I did the same thing where I was like, oh, hang on a sec, is this a scene from them? Because and again, because I hadn't seen it, I was like, oh, okay, it might be another scene. And then all of a sudden, they're actually interacting very uh, seamlessly. That it was like, oh, actually, no, this is another actress. And it just, yeah, she looks she looks a lot like her anyway, but just a little bit more makeup makes her it was perfect, and it just really worked really well at the uh, in that little scene they have together. And then you know, the scene we don't get to see, um, which is probably for the best, is the one where. Um, she finds Justin Long naked in the thing and it, it all comes together. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, um, and we kind of find out ways on how the sort of, I always keep forgetting the name, oh, the Immersive Pod, <laughs> i got to remember the name of the of the machine, how it kind of works is like you get inside it because inside it there's like hundreds and hundreds of little tiny video cameras that videotape your body and insert you into the film, but also how you sort of work everything, like typical VR, you can, how you move around and interact with characters within the film is, of course, you've got to use uh, your mind. So if you think start walking, you'll start walking. And, of course, mm. 
to get out of the machine and out of that re the virtual reality, you got to use your thumb, press on the on the controller to get out. So it's pretty cool on how they sort of how this machine works because it does seem very plausible yeah. as well. Which I'm surprised nobody has tried to make something like this. Although I got to say though, I'm kind of curious like. Like, as Simon says, like, you could put yourself inside any movie. Like, it doesn't have to be his favorite film, Horror Express. It could be any type of film. So it's it's a pretty cool idea. And I think, like I said, the episode does handles that pretty well. But like you said before, how Renee kind of comes to the real, realization of what's happening is, of course, she wakes up, finds Simon's not in bed, and then, of course, goes to where the immersive pod is, and finds him naked inside it, having mm-hmm. sex with the Countess. So she pretty much like sums up a plan. So when he goes into it later, and we kind of it also shows like he's pretty much obsessed about the immersive pods because basically he'll go out of it, go to bed, and the first thing he do does when he wakes up is, oh, I got to go test out the immer- the immersive pod. So it's very clearly like this thing has taken control of his life, which I think is also a very interesting subtle way on how sometimes technology can take over our lives in some mm-hmm. way to the point where we just don't want to interact with the real world. And of course, once he's inside the machine, uh, Renee s- decides to switch the movie from Horror Express to Night of the Living Dead. That's <laughs> why Night of the Living Dead only plays a small factor into this episode. And yeah. then even then though, like Horror Express, how Justin Long is inserted into the footage is actually really good but i think in this case though they actually designed a proper set that looks exactly like the lounge room from the original film but of course uh greg nicotero shoots the film exactly in the same black and white and shadowy style of the original as well so once justin's inside the film and realize oh i'm in the wrong film i'll just get out and go to another way and this is where the revenge aspect comes in. So Renee grabs, I believe, it's like a little, like, gardening scissors. I, I, yeah. I know that's not what they're called, but I can't think of what the name of them are. <laughs> and he goes, and she goes in and cuts off his thumb because in the episode, I actually forgot to mention this before, she actually goes into the uh, Mercipod herself to confront the Countess, which oh, I think yes. is part of a very funny little seed. And how the Countess is like, oh, yeah, he's mine. There's nothing you can do about it. But Renee has a run-in with the creature from the film and is trying to – and the creature is trying to suck her life force out. But she manages to get out of it pretty quickly. But then she realizes that if you get hurt inside the film, it affects your body on the outside. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, so she decides, like, I wonder if it works the opposite way. So, yeah, so she goes in, uh, cuts off – simon's thumb so he can't get out of the movie and the episode pretty much essentially ends with the zombies storming the house and the zombies going to town on simon and killing and eating him so it was like the a really fun way to end the episode but kind of showing like maybe a technology like this where you could actually get hurt inside the <laughs> actual machine is probably not the best thing that we need right now <laughs> no, it was that was my um my question too was sort of like why if you could build something this immersive that will actually make you die if something does happen to you, why would you also pick a horror movie to go into? Mm. You know, why, like I wouldn't want to be running around Camp Crystal Lake with Jason Voorhees chasing me after as much as I love those movies. It's sort of it's not my first choice because all I need is you know he sneaks up behind you and gets you with a machete and it's over. Like it. Yeah, and horror wouldn't be my first choice, but then again, you think about some of the movies, you know, otherwise a lot of them would be fairly boring to be into, or you don't want to pick like a Deep Impact or something where the world's going to end as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I guess in a way it kind of shows like how consumed by the character of Simon is when creating this machine, because he wanted not just to be his character, not just to have people go inside their favorite movies, but fully experience it. And in a way, knowing where the real reason why he creates this machine is to fall in love with the Countess and have sex with her, he kind of made this machine so that you could feel all those experiences. So, like, if you have sex with someone inside that film, you're definitely going to feel it on the outside. So, in a way, it's kind of his own undoing, and he 
in his way by trying to make this machine as fully immersive as an experience as mm. possible, rather than just making it like a standard virtual reality kind of simulator. Yeah, it's it's and it's yeah, it's that that whole thing of you know the choice of the movie, but it's like I think it would be it could be a very interesting and fun tool to use, but it's just the choice of movies which is a bit, a bit baffling in the end there. Yeah. Uh, if knowing me though, like, but then again, like knowing how the real world works, if people had this type of ship machine, I think most of the movies that most people would want to be in would probably be pornos, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like I was say, thinking that too. Yeah, that's pretty much. I, I mean, everyone would be like, yeah. But it also depends, like, what type of movie would I want to insert myself in? Because I wouldn't want to insert myself in a horror film, knowing like you could probably die within. Yeah. In the immersive part, if you're in a horror film, I'm like, no. no. I mean, it'd be cool kind of being, like, on the outside of it, experiencing all the stuff happening, like, as a more observer rather than someone who's interacting with the whole situation. But, no, I, I, I definitely no. wouldn't want to put myself in, uh, <laughs> in any horror film at all. Yeah, no. But even then, I can't, you know, well, what, would you want to you go into some drama and you're just sort of sitting in the background going, yeah, this is exciting. Like when, you know, some some big scene where people are just having a big monologue together and you're just like, yeah, this is probably not the best choice either. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now the more that we talk about it and think about it, it's like, yeah, this this, this immersive part is definitely very useless in the end. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> if it was just a, a tool where you were in the background of everything and you couldn't be hurt, nothing could kill you nothing could hurt you at all sure horror would be a great choice you could go and see some really fun stuff but if it actually does damage to you it's kind of pointless yeah exactly exactly and uh i just found out the uh the scissors that uh renee uses is pruning shears so i apologize yeah. not knowing what they were i should have <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of just shows how much of gardening i know as a person um <laughs> but um and also the uh, the episode ends where we go back to more 3D animation in VR form with uh, the creep. This time it's in color, and we all and this is what I really like about this section of the film is like it actually kind of goes through with all three first mm. dead films because again it's has the creep leaving the farm, gets inside a helicopter which takes him to a mall, which of course is referencing Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He shoots a bunch of zombies and then he escapes out through this door and then he finds like this underground elevator with a couple of uh, graves sites next to which, of course, is referencing Day of the Dead. Yeah. And I thought that was like a really fun way to kind of close out the episode and as well as the creep being attacked and eaten by a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I guess that could be a wrap on this conversation on the episode Night of the Living Late Show. But that being said, though, I'm a little disappointed there was no a late shows at all in this episode, yeah. despite what the says. Because when I sat down to watch this episode, I just assumed, okay, when I think of late show, I'm thinking, you know, like uh, the Tonight Show with hmm. like Johnny Carson or Jay Leto or David Letterman and stuff like that. That's what I was thinking like the episode was basically going to be, but it kind of really wasn't, so... <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a misleading title. It, uh, Yeah, I expect... I kind of... I saw... I Before I even looked at what the episode was about, I saw the title, and I thought, oh, cool, it's going to be around the same time as Night of the Living Dead, and it might be that they're filming the Johnny Carson show, but it's a different character, of course, and yep. a zombie attack breaks out while they're doing that, like, which is still a pretty cool concept for a movie or a TV show as well. Um, So, yeah, it was a bit of a misleading title. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But I could, like I said, but this could be a wrap on this conversation of the episode. But uh, Andrew, what are your final thoughts on the on this episode of Creepshow? I think it's yeah, it's it's very it's an interesting one. It's a it's a bit more I'd say a bit more sci-fi than horror um, mm. based on the concepts and everything. But you you got two very good actors um, in the lead roles. It's a, it's a bit of fun and it's got the the O Henry revenge in ending. So you know it's it's just a, a great um, episode of a you know creep show tales from the creep tales from the dark side sort of episode so yeah it's definitely worth a watch yeah i would definitely say it is for sure i really enjoyed the episode overall even though night of the living dead only plays a small factor into the actual episode itself i i still think it's a really has a really cool concept overall and i think justin long and 
Darcy Carden actually do give really good performances in this episode. And it's just a really fun way, especially seeing how the characters interact with the characters from the film Horror Express and Night of the Living Dead throughout this episode. And also, you know, as a big horror fan, it's always great to see Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee yeah. in anything, even if it is archive footage. So it's yep. got still really a lot of fun seeing uh, Justin Long and Darcy Carden kind of interacting with those characters. Yeah, I, I just think it's a really fun episode overall and and one that I think everyone should definitely check out. I guess we can move along to the next episode of Creep Show, which of course is the season three, episode six episode. Well, the second half of that episode, I should say, which of yeah. course is a dead girl named Sue. Oh, oh. Well, well, it ain't my daddy's pet police. What you doing all the way out here, Chief? Looking for you. Whole town's looking for you. A group of Carl Fenston's boys want to put you in a grave tonight. Joe Donovan, too. Ah, not that again. Care to explain this? Crazy old bat. I thought she was some kind of squatter or something coming after me. I wanted them things on the news, you know? You've seen them From things. the looks of it, I think you better come up with a better story. I did this, chewed on her arm. Ain't you seen the news? It's open season on them things. That's in the cities. Not here. Not in my town. <laughs> your town? This ain't your town. This is my daddy's town. Last I checked, a mayor's more important than a, uh, a guard dog. Cliven. To be clear, I've got half a mind to leave you be and let these boys hey, track Hey, look, I ain't been convicted of- Let me finish. All you done, it'd serve you right. But that ain't my way. As soon as this town stops following the rules, won't be a town left to save, so you're coming with me. Huh. I feel so safe. Big policeman going to protect me. And this episode was directed by John Harrison, Written by Heather Ann Campbell, which is, of course, is based on a short story by Craig Angler. And the plot summary for this episode is, When the dead rise from their graves, townspeople take justice into their own hands. Now, this episode of Creepshow, at least this segment anyway, uh, stars the likes of Christian Gonzalez, Brian Brendel, J.R. Rodriguez, Ray Hernandez, and Josh Minkle. What's interesting about this episode is that I have actually have covered the original short story that this episode is based on because a dead girl named Sue was part of the anthology horror novel that I discussed a couple episodes back, ah. Night's Living Dead Anthology. So this is my second time talking about this story. So I, I was already fully aware what to expect with this segment from this episode but the question is though andrew what did you feel how do you feel about this episode a dead girl named sue i, I actually i like this one better than the first one i think mm. um when i was a kid it reminded me of i had a couple of books that were set in the star wars universe there were tales from jabba's palace and tales from the moss Eisley cantina they're all um it's an anthology a couple of anthology books that are set in stories around the times you see in the movie. So you sort of, the characters will talk about, oh, there's Luke Skywalker's walked into the cantina, but they talk, it's another story going on in the background. You, you're learning about the characters who are, you know, all those cool aliens you see in the background. So this is, it felt like that, where it's the zombies are rising up, stuff that's happening in Not a Living Dead is happening over there, but this is a small town where something else is, where the same thing is happening that we haven't heard about. And so I really liked the feel of it. I think the story was a little predictable. I sort of, I could gather what was going on, you know, once he went out to deal with the, the, uh, the bad guy in the, in the movie, but it was sort of, it's still a fun little story and it, the ending, you know, the comeuppance again is great. And it just, but putting it in the black and white and having the, the scenes where like, if it's the, the little girls, uh, scrunchy for her hair in that bright blue really, really stand out. I thought that was very clever. 
Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's one of the interesting things about this segment is having read the original source material that it's based on, it's pretty close to the original source material from what I remember. But however, they do kind of add a few things here and there as well. Particularly, I don't think it's, I think pretty much from what I remember, the ending is slightly different, or at least they add more to the beginning of to the story in this episode. But other than that, it sticks pretty close to the original story. But I think one of the key things what I really liked about this segment and also the original short story that it's based on but even just the entirety of the novel that it came from knights of the living dead an anthology is like you say the episode is set in the same world of night of the living dead so it is set in 1968 the entire episode is shot in black and white even visually it really does a great job of replicating the visual style of the original film mm-hmm. From the way, from the shadows, how it's shot, and how the camera is handled. But also the original news footage from the film in the news bulletin segments pops up every now and again on the TV throughout the episode, but also on radio broadcasts as well, which I think is a really clever way to kind of show that as the the news bulletins are happening, this is just like a happening at the same time as the events that are happening at the farmhouse in the original Night of the Living Dead. So it's kind of cool kind of seeing like what else is happening in the world of this film, just from a different perspective with different characters. The episode does a really good job with showing that. And, and I think the performances are all pretty solid throughout this episode. But for me, of course, it's uh, uh, Josh Minkle who plays our antagonist, Cliven Ridgeway does a really great job of making such a really despicable character. Yeah. And, and I think he really captures that character from the original short story to a T because he, he the character is the absolute worst in the original short story. And he really like I had an idea of what the character was like in my head when I was reading slash listening to the uh, <laughs> short story. And I think Josh Meikle does such a great job at portraying exactly that character from the story. And he just does a really good job of it. So uh, what did you think of uh, Josh Meikle's performance as Cliven? Yeah, he was a real good um, slimeball rich kid who, you know, he's got one of those faces that you just want to slap with, with, the, with when they're the bad guy like that. I think the, one of the really good things about it too is that I – I didn't recognize any of the actors, which gave it a Mm. bit more of a, a bit more punch to it. I think, I think if it had been, you know, the main actor was someone you knew or, you know, a semi-famous actor, it might've taken a bit away from the story. So casting relatively unknown actors really worked for it and made it feel a bit more, um, a bit more personal, a bit more realistic, if that makes sense. Um, Mm. As much as a movie, a, a short story about zombies could be realistic. But I think, yeah, he was great as this, yeah, this, the slime ball, greasy kid that, you know, you've seen in a hundred movies that, you know, you just want them to get what's coming to them and it, you know, it works out well. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And pretty much like from like a lot of the aspects from the short story are definitely prevalent in this segment, but also just some of the stuff that they added, like one of the key things is with the, the sheriff. Uh, Sheriff Foster, played by Christian Gonzalez, like he definitely is, even as the world is basically going to hell with this zombie outbreak, he's still trying to be, you know, still trying to do his jobs, do the right thing, and also kind of just be the level-headed person without, because pretty much like the episode begins with a vigilante mob wanting to go find Cliven, and it's all the people that, that he's done wrong to. And they all have understandable reasons why they want to take revenge on Cliven. But at first, Sheriff Foster doesn't want anything to do with it. He wants to bring order and civility to the whole situation. But then again, once he goes out to look for Cliven at that abandoned factory, and then he, once he starts putting two together about what happened to the little girl, Sue, who was beaten and killed by Cliven. Oh, Cliven says he's been innocent of the yeah. whole thing but once he kind of sees the the scrunchie and i love the fact that this episode really high it kind of does something very similar to what the film schindler's list and 
Sin City do is like, yes, the whole episode is in black and white, but they use color sporadically for specific mm-hmm. things. And having the blue scrunchie and him putting two and two together, and then once we later in the episode when the the zombie girl Sue comes in and we see that blue scrunchie, so it's like, oh yeah, this is her scrunchie. We know that Cliven did in fact kill her. It's like the cut use of color, but that's not the only use of color because she also has a ring that's red as well. Mm-hmm. That's also prominent throughout the episode as well. But like you say, like it is a pretty simple story. Like it is very predictable. You kind of do know exactly where it's going to go, especially towards the end. Like once Clive, they, the sheriff takes Cliven back to to the police station, puts him in the cell, and we just know that yeah, Cliven's definitely going to get his comeuppance. And yeah. the fact that it is from uh, from Sue herself as a zombie, and I like the fact that it has a little detail in there. Where before Sue attacks him, she has like a little bit of a memory of her time with Cliven. So in a way, kind of the show's like, yeah, some of these zombies kind of do retain some of their memories. But it's kind of something that has been established before in Romero's other zombie work. That sometimes the zombies do have parts of their minds that still have memories about something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool way of putting that in there. And of course, with the episode ending... With Sue killing and eating Cliven, and then the sheriff and the and the mob decide, you know what, bad as Cliven is, we're gonna go after his dad next because yeah. he's also just as a, a complete <laughs> trash of a person as well who's been able to get Cliven off so many times from the police. So I think even though yeah, the whole episode is predictable, but it is still pretty well done in terms of its execution and. Mm. And also the performances are really solid. Yeah, it's it's great. It, um, it, like I said, I liked it more than the, the first episode. But it's, I think the the thing that I was you know sitting there watching and getting he's getting his comeuppance, and I was thinking how many in a situation like that, how many people would use that to their advantage to take mm. revenge or take care of somebody? Oh, their, their neighbor that they've had a, a feud with for a decade, they go and shoot him in the head and go, oh, he was he was a zombie, he got bitten, you know, that, that's. That's what happened, you know. It's, it's sort of like it, it just made me think of how much vigilante justice would have happened, or how much revenge or murder would have happened in that situation. That was not someone shooting a zombie, but were you know taking care of some business that they needed to, they've been wanting to do for years. Oh yeah, we kind of see a bit of that even from Cliver's point of view, because when the sheriff goes to the abandoned factory, he finds the body of an old woman there. Mm. Cliven says, oh, she just came at me and tried to attack me. And we kind of assume, like, yeah, he's prob- most likely telling the truth in that regard because she does have, like, her flesh torn off from her arm and also a bite on her neck, so it's obviously she was a zombie. But even then, regardless, though, even if it was self-defense, Cliven even says, oh, it's open season on all these things. So mm-hmm. it, from Cliven's point of view, it kind of gives him, like, a reason. It's like, oh, I can go around and shoot zombies and i'm putting that in quotations there (laughs) when in a way he probably until the sheriff found them he probably would have just gone around and just shot innocent people yep so i think the episode does a really good job at kind of showing that as well and kind of keeping within the themes of night of the living dead as well my only criticism of this episode though is that when they do show the news bulletins, it is out of order in terms of when the news bulletins are played. <laughs> and sometimes they even play stuff that actually happened earlier yeah. as well. So I'm thinking like, oh, it's a bit <laughs> all over the place. But then I kind of had to think that maybe it's kind of a repeat of what was yeah. played earlier. Like sometimes the news bulletins will do that. So that's probably like, but me, it's having seen Night of the Living Dead a lot. Since the beginning of the yep. show, I kind of noticed those little things a little bit more. But um, but I can understand, like, if nobody or if people who have seen the film, but not as much as me in the uh, span of the, since the show began, it probably wouldn't be something that would bother people as much. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's as and, you know, and you're right. When they do stuff like that, you think, well, if you're going to do an homage, you've got to get everything right. But in the end of it, you know, you just say, Okay, it's a yeah, it's a repeat. It's the um, you know, earlier on the news today, here's a sheriff talking about what to do in this situation, and 
you go from there. So it's sort of, yeah, it's, but I think if you could even take those out, like have one little one or a news broadcast and that's it. And then, mm. you, you know, you just got to set the scene. You probably didn't need to play it again, but I guess it does bookend the episode very well. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, I think overall, like, I do agree, like, even though, yeah, this episode is a lot shorter than Night of the Living Late Show, but I think um, of the two, like, it does use Night of the Living Dead very prominently within its narrative, given that, yeah, it actually is a story that takes place within the world of that film. But I would even say, though, like, if people who haven't listened to my episode on the on the book Knights of the Living Dead Anthology, definitely seek that book out because if you want to kind of hear all these different, so many different well-known authors taking a stab at their own interpretations of Night of the Living Dead by creating all these stories that are set in that universe of the film, it's definitely worth picking up and giving a read because it's interesting kind of seeing how people create their own stories within that world. A Dead Girl Named Sue from Craig Eglow is a very big part of it. And it's definitely, I mean, all the stories are all really good. There's not a real bad one amongst the bunch, but I could definitely see like why the makers of Creepshow picked that story, uh, A Dead Girl Named Sue, to be an episode of the show, because it, it definitely is one of the standout stories from the book. Like I personally, there are a couple of other stories I think would make great episodes of Creepshow if they ever do decide to adapt other ones in the future. But I think they did a really good job with this episode and it is pretty faithful to the original short story. But I also like you say to kind of keep it within the world of Night of the Living Dead by shooting it in black and white, keeping its setting in 1968, which it also is in the original short story as well. So I think it's a really cool kind of like what if kind of story, like what other what is happening in in other parts of America as the zombie outbreak is happening within the original film? Yeah, it, it's an interesting concept. I really like the um, having people write the side stories, like I was saying about the Star Wars books earlier, where everybody in those books has a story to tell. And, you know, just because we're watching this group of people doesn't mean there's not another interesting story down the road or you know a couple of states over in America and things like that. So. It's definitely a bit of fun, and it, it definitely um, not everyone's story is the same, so it's it's going to be a lot more interesting if they do use some more of them. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, I guess that could be a wrap on our discussion on A Dead Girl Named Sue. And I kind of do find it funny that both the season finales of season two and season three just happen to end on episodes that are centered around Night of the Living Dead. So I, I'm going to be disappointed with the upcoming season four, which I believe is coming out on Shutter in October, doesn't end the season on another Night of the Living Dead episode. <laughs> I'm just going to say it right now. I'll be upset. I'll be angry. And also, it's given me less stuff to talk about for the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe they could move on to Dawn or Day. But yeah, you're right. If you need more for the episode, you need more Night of the Living Dead stuff. Exactly, exactly. But uh, but overall, uh, what are your final thoughts on the ep- on the segment uh, A Dead Girl Named Sue, Andrew? Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, it's definitely the – I liked it more than the, the of the two that we watched. Um, I think it's it's the, the way it's shot and the actors – I think make it uh, a lot more interesting and it's um, using, you know, like I said, uh, not well-known faces in there makes it a bit more believable. And I think that um, Nicotero definitely has a, an affinity for George Romero movies. Like he worked with Romero a lot. And I think it definitely shows that if he's going to keep doing this sort of thing, that he definitely does love the franchise. And I, I look forward to more of it. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I also do want to give a shout out to uh, this episode's director, John Harrison, who has also worked with George A. Romero a lot as well, because I believe John Harrison scored a lot of Romero's films as well. So you can definitely tell, even on the very little episodes that I've seen from Creepshow, what I have seen, though, is like you can definitely tell that Greg Nicotero and all the people who have worked on the show definitely have a passion for all things Creepshow and also to the original film as well. Like, this is definitely not something they created just because it's a well-known IP and it's got name recognition and they're just creating something from that. You can definitely tell that this is a show that they have a lot of love for and they want to replicate what George A. Romero and Stephen King did with that original film. And like I said, 
both these episodes that we talked about for this show do still have that theme of characters getting their comeuppance in the mm. end, which is something that is was a played a big theme in all the short stories in the creep show films. So it's great to see, like, just based on that being replicated here once again through these two episodes. I gotta say, I think it, I'm really enjoying what I've seen, and I just gotta get my ass in gear and just start watching the rest of the show as well. Yeah, I think catch up, catching up before the new season starts might be on my agenda for the rest of the year too. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, and I will also say, if you want something fun to watch this Halloween, definitely watch the Halloween special, which is basically an all animated episode with oh, two stories yeah, where cool. it's completely animated and one of the store and both the stories are from Stephen King and uh, his son uh, Joe Hill so definitely check those out so that's that was a really fun episode to watch but also check out the uh, Christmas one as well which I believe is called Shapeshifters Anonymous I believe so that was a really fun episode too so but like I said definitely need to check out the other shows I like you I may have to start watching (laughs) the previous seasons and the other episodes in the lead up for the show dropping in uh season four in october so but uh i guess for my final thoughts on a dead girl named sue really cool fun segment that's very faithful to the original short story like yeah it's very predictable but i think it still handles the short story very well and it's very well acted well made it's also like a cool kind of like side story within the world of Night of the Living Dead. And and it kind of shows, again, the themes of what Romero has shown with his dead films is, like, once the world has gone to hell, how society crumbles in the end. And I think the episode tackles those themes really well. So definitely uh, check this episode out as well if you're interested. But, uh, yeah, I guess that could be a wrap on this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. And thank you, Andrew, for coming on the show and talking about these two episodes with me. No worries. Thank you for having me on. It was good fun. It was it was good to have the motivation to start watching the Creep Show episode. So thank you for nudging me in the right direction there so I can go back and watch some more. Indeed, indeed, indeed. I I do like to always kind of help some people be pushed in a direction where I want them to go. Um, <laughs> but then again, it also is for the same for me as well because i basically kind of have to do the exact same thing as well because like based on the episodes i've seen from creep show it is definitely a show that's very much up my alley Mm. it just gives me an excuse to finally get around to watching it now and you know like you i love a good horror anthology i mean my co-host over at the super network uh, Marcy and I do have a podcast on horror anthology film and TV shows, which, of course, is podcasters of horror. So I enjoy them as much as the next person. So I, I definitely want to get around to watching more Creep Show. And like you, I may have to do that just in time before season four drops yep. as well. Definitely. So, But before we wrap up the episode tonight, uh, Andrew, where can people find you on the Internet this week? Um, I'm at Andrew underscore Shaw 23 on pretty much everything now on uh, Twitter because I refuse to call it the letter. Um, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, all those fun ones. I'm on everything. So, yeah, just look me up. I'm always – I love talking horror, horror, wrestling, comic books, anything really. So, yeah, yeah, give us a follow and, we, yeah, we can have a good conversation. Awesome. But also you do host a couple of podcasts as well yourself. Yeah, I, uh, well, it's on. We sort of do it uh, a couple episodes a year. We have the uh, it's called the Pot of the Damned, which I do with Dean and Emma. Um, we did the first round time round. We did uh, 31 episodes uh, for every day of October, which was uh, an interesting <laughs> way to do it. It was it was very hard work, and so we've sort of just paired it back to a few episodes a year now, which we put out in October. Um, hopefully, we'll have a couple out in this October around the Halloween time because uh, we sort of. We sat down and said we've all loved horror, so why not you know sit and talk about it? So yeah, we um we gave it a good go, and we've we had some really interesting conversations. Nice, nice. And uh, if people want to find me personally, you can find me at twitter.com/bjamine. And like you, I refuse to call it by X, so I'm calling it Twitter, <laughs> despite what Elon Musk wants me to call it. Um, and also you can follow me on Blue Sky as well if you're on that 
uh, platform as well. And of course, you can find me at my Letterboxd account at letterboxd.com slash Jemine. And of course, you can find all my other podcasts and work over at supermarcy.com. And as well as you can follow the official Twitter page for Bead vs. the Living Dead at twitter.com slash VSTLD. And you can also find the show on Blue Sky as well. And also you can listen to this podcast on all podcast streaming services everywhere. And also, if you like, please give a rating and review as well for the show if you have been enjoying it so far. And if you have, I will make sure to read the review on the show. Yeah, so I guess that could be a wrap on this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead, the milestone 20th episode. And keep a lookout in two weeks' time for episode 21, in which I will discuss the 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 sequel novel to Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead by John A. Russo. So stay tuned, which of course was the basis for the film of the same name. So stay tuned for that and I'll see you all then. See everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at BeadVSTLD. The music for this show was brought to you by Denno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.